any of you make mistakes in the past? Any of you hold yourself tightly to those mistakes? Right? A few of you, yes, your laughter tells me yes. Up until now, it's just a really short little positive mantra to hold for ourselves. You know, up until now, I may have done those things up until now, but now is a new moment. Now's a new moment. In some of the approaches to Buddhist teaching is the idea that every breath brings forth a new us. And if you think about it, scientifically, that's actually true because our bodies are always in, in a state of change. We just don't always see it or recognize it. But every breath is a new me. So as we start this new year, I want us to do so with a full intention to approach it spiritually and to really look at what it is that we want to to experience, how we want to feel, the kind of life that we want to be living in. Pulled, pushed, or tossed around. Pulled, pushed, or tossed around. I bet we can relate to each of those, each of those words, each of those ideas of having been pulled at times, having been pushed at times, having been tossed around. There is so much more to who and what we can be than what we are right now. And that doesn't discount at all everything that we have already accomplished that has brought us to this moment in time. But there is still so much more for us. And that's true regardless of what stage or phase or decade of life we're in. A few years ago, my family and I took a trip to Spain. And one of the things on our to-do list was we wanted to go to Gibraltar. And we wanted to stand, we wanted to see the rock of Gibraltar, we wanted to, to see that narrow strait of Gibraltar. And it is pretty narrow, and it is, is and was a very important um, passageway between Spain and between Africa. And uh, I was reminded that at one time, before Columbus discovered as all of us were taught, but now know isn't completely true, not quite the accurate history, but prior to, to Columbus sailing the ocean blue in 1492, right, there was at Gibraltar a pillar. It was called the Pillar of Hercules, and there was a plaque on the Pillar of Hercules. And there were three words on it, and those words were ne, ne plus alta, ne plus alta, which meant, literally translated meant, no more beyond, that there was nothing more to the world beyond what was seen at that geographic point. Well, of course, when Columbus and all of the explorations started to happen, that was decided or understood to no longer be true, right? And instead of it being no plus ultra, it became plus ultra that there is more beyond, there is more beyond. And what I find so important about that is what it means for us personally, that too many of us live at just the edge of our life and believe that we are constrained and confined by our past, when in reality there is for each of us so much more beyond so much more beyond. And vision, holding a vision of, for ourselves of what that could be is really the way, I think, that we keep alive 
this ultimate truth that there is more beyond. One of the most powerful ideas that, that I came into a new thought was the idea that I could be living my life either by design or default. By design or default. Those words, design and default, were very powerful for me, and they still are powerful for me today. Think about your computer. Think about the programs that you use on your computer or on your phone or on your tablet. Any program, any software program, comes built in with certain um, capabilities that are set by default. And you can certainly use and run those programs as they are established by default. But there is also the opportunity to change those defaults and to personalize that particular software program or application so it is more useful to you, right? And that is to do it by design, not just straight off the shelf, but how do you want it to be? How do you want it to be? This idea of living our life not by default, not by what somebody told us was possible or by our, our worst or most recent mistake or fault or, or failure, but instead by the design of what we long to bring forth now, that's a powerful way to live. It's what I think caused somebody like Charles Fillmore in his 80s to say, I fairly sizzle with zeal and enthusiasm to spring forth with a mighty faith to do the work that ought to be done by me today. He had a vision of what that would be for him, of what that would be for him. As I speak to you today and to those, that you are, those of you who are online, I can't help but think that we're all living in times that are really trying to grow us and to bring out the very best in us. I can't help but think that we are living in times that are so uncertain and that cause us a certain amount of confusion perhaps or maybe even fear, not sure what's going on with the economy or maybe what's going on in our personal lives work-wise or health-wise. And so in order to really navigate during times that are uncertain or times that are, or times that are confusing, I think we need to have a vision. We need to have a sense of what it is that we want. What is it that you want? What is it that you want to be moving in the direction of? I think of the Old Testament story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness under Moses' leadership, having left Egypt, having left being enslaved. And they were a large group of people, very unruly group of people. In the Old Testament, you, you read the words during these wandering years, and the people murmured. They were gossiping. They were talking to each other. They were frustrated with Moses. The way Moses kept them together was with a vision. And he painted that vision again and again and again and again and again. The vision was the vision of the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And if you're coming from the desert, and you are being painted this vision of a land flowing with milk and honey and abundance and everything you could possibly want. Would you, say that, would you not say that's a compelling vision? It would keep you going, and in fact it did keep them going until they got right up to the edge of the promised land. That's a whole other Bible story I'm not going to go into right now. 
But in that story and in that experience is where we get those powerful words that we use so often in metaphysics. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Moses gave them a vision. I really believe that if you don't already know or have a vision for your life, that if you get quiet enough and you really ask, if you are prayerful enough, if you are open, you will be told what that vision is. Maybe not in words like the words I'm using right now, but you will begin to see and feel and sense the contours of the picture of your life, of what it is that you are here to do, what it is that you are here to, how it is that you are here to be. There is a distinct difference, in my opinion, there's a distinct difference between setting goals and capturing a vision. Between setting goals and capturing a vision. Setting goals, and I'm, and I'm all for setting goals, but goals take us just so far, and I think goals should be in service to vision. But setting goals tends to be very cerebral. We use our minds to think our way to a specific goal. Setting goals tends to be independent. We do it on our own. It's our personal goals that we are setting. Setting goals, if we're not careful, can be more ego-focused and can be, not always, but can be more about impressing someone or something. Vision, I think, is different. Vision is about capturing something, about receiving something. Vision is in partnership, and I'm going to use the G word, Vision is in partnership with God, or spirit, or the infinite mind, or the one presence, the one power, the divine intelligence, whatever word or term works best for you. Vision is about capturing that for your life. It's about you and that. It's a co-creative process. It's soulful. It comes not so much from the head as it does from the gut or from the soul. Does that make sense? You feel vision. You feel vision. You receive vision. And sometimes it can scare the heck out of you. I believe that oftentimes the vision that God, life, spirit, the infinite has for us is much bigger than the one that we would kind of construct in our own minds, in our own minds. Vision requires, I believe, a sense of willingness, which is different than willfulness. An experience of willingness, an experience of cooperation. I came across this little story in, in my notes. It was a story about Walter Knight um, telling about, um, in the old days, a Scottish woman that would go from little town to little town on foot selling her wares, and her wares were like, you know, bits of thread and, and buttons and things that in the old, old, old days people needed. And she would go from town to town with her, her stuff to try to sell. And whenever she came to a fork in a road, she would throw a stick to see which way she should go. And whatever way the stick went, she would go. 
But what happened is one day somebody actually watched her as she came upon a fork in a road. And she threw the stick, and she looked and she picked it up. And she threw the stick again, and she looked and she picked it up. And she threw the stick again, and she looked and she picked it up, and she threw it again. And when asked why she kept throwing the stick, she said, well, it kept pointing to the left, and I wanted to go to the right. And it's kind of like what we do sometimes with our goals, right? You know, we set one and then, well, we go, okay, well, I'm going to move it over here. Okay, I'm going to move it over here. I'm going to move it over, over here. And I think in a way, that's a difference between willfulness and willingness. It's like when we have a vision that we have captured, there's a willingness that comes with it. And I think there's also something incredibly important when we are about capturing a vision, that spirit, that God, that life has for us, one of the qualities that comes with that is a real deep sense of confidence. When you really get that the vision that you've received is not of just your own making and thinking, but really is something that has come inspired, inspired, it will give you confidence you didn't know you had. Confidence to take that first step when you can't see all the steps that follow that first one. Confidence to keep going when things don't seem to be flowing too easily. Confidence when those around you think you're crazy for what it is you are attempting and committed to doing. When we've received that, vision, that sense of purpose, I suppose, would be another way of saying it as well. What comes with it is this sense of confidence. I know that in my experience of going into ministry, and I won't go into the whole story because many of you have heard it before, or versions of it, it wasn't something I had consciously picked for myself. It really was something that came into me as, as a vision that I resisted quite, quite significantly resisted it. But once I got that it really was a vision, once I got that it really was something that, that was mine to do and be, there was a confidence that came with that, like no other confidence I had ever experienced before. A confidence that allowed me to work through my absolute dreaded fear of ever standing up in front of a group of people and talking. When I was in, jun in junior college, junior college, whatever it was, the only, there were two classes I took in junior college, speech and logic. I loved logic, I kept with logic. I dropped speech when the assignment in two weeks was to stand up in front of the class and give a two minute talk. I said, I can't do that. Who the heck signs up for a speech class thinking they're not gonna have to speak? I, I don't know what I was thinking. Obviously, wasn't thinking very well. But to paint a picture of, of the confidence that can come, your story and your journey will be different than mine, probably different than mine. If you're interested in ministry, talk to me. But your story, your journey will be different than mine. But what I can say to you is when you really get that you are being called to do something, to live a certain way, to serve in a certain way, when it's something more than just what you've done with your own thinking, when it feels inspired from spirit, you will have a confidence that comes with that, that will carry you through those times where you think, I can't do that. 
there'll be another part of you that says, oh yes, you can. And we'll figure it out together. When we allow ourselves, we will either be, as my friend Michael Beckwith says, we will either be pushed by pain or pulled by a vision. When we are pulled by a vision, we will find it easy to go beyond the limits that we had previously experienced. God's vision for us, I believe, is always bigger than what we would come up with entirely on our own. And God's vision will always ask us to do something more that's not just for our own benefit, but somehow is for the benefit of others as well. When we are capturing a vision, we are not just telling, we are receiving. When we are capturing a vision, we are moving with a powerful force for good in our lives. When we are capturing a vision, we are being invited to rethink who and what we really are. We are being invited to think a bigger version of ourselves. Is that appealing to anyone? You're very quiet. <laughs> am I just kind of, am I having one of those conversations just for me, to me, and you just happen to be eavesdropping? Is that what's going on? I mean, sometimes, sometimes I, I think that. Maybe I'm just talking to me and, and you're getting to, um, getting to eavesdrop. Vision helps us to break through not only our own limits, but the limits that society seems to have put on us. How many of you remember learning about um, the first time the four-minute mile was broken? Roger Bannister. Some of you remember learning about Roger Bannister being the first human being to break through the four-minute mile. What you may not remember was prior to Roger Bannister breaking what was absolutely believed to be impossible, that no human being could run a mile in four minutes or less, what you may not be aware is that at one point, the ancient Greek records, the Greeks were, were very involved in you know, the, the Olympics, right? And, and the physicality and strength of what can people really, really do. They wanted to have somebody break a four minute mile, but they couldn't figure out how to do it. And part of what the old records suggested is that they tried some really aggressive ways to encourage people to run faster and faster. And two of those ways, including having wild animals chasing a person running to see if they could break a four-minute mile. They fed the athletes tiger's milk, and not the kind you get at general nutrition stores, but the real thing. And when they did everything according to these old records to try to get that record broken, they determined it was impossible until Roger Bannister did it. Now I ask you, did the anatomy of a human being change that much? What changed? The mind, the picture, the, the vision, right, of what was possible. I think that is such an incredibly powerful and important thing for us to remember. And not just for the Roger Bannisters of the world, but for ourselves. I don't know what you are called to do or be. I don't know what you dream of. I don't know what vision 
life or God or spirit has placed in your mind and heart and soul. But I do know that to the extent you get clear on what that is, and to the extent that you take steps towards living that out, to that extent, your life is going to shine. You are going to experience a fullness of being, a fullness of joy that maybe you've never touched before. What I also believe is that if we have a sense of what that vision is, if you have a sense of what that calling is, but you've allowed the idea of no plus alta to keep you because you think there's nothing more, you can't do it, who are you to think that big thought about yourself or about your life, that if you stay in that very limited, constricted, self-imposed thinking, that that vision of what's possible for you, it's gonna haunt you. It's not gonna let you go. It's like Jacob wrestling, from another Old Testament story, Jacob wrestling on the ladder with the angel saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. I believe it's as if spirit, life, the universe will say to you, I will not let you rest until you take this up because this is yours to do. This is yours to be. Whatever that is for you, I hope you'll let us support you and encourage you in living that out. Sangha, to me, is, it means community, right? And Sangha is about supporting one another. It's about doing life together. We have our life groups that do that. It's about being there for one another, encouraging one another, listening with an open mind and an open heart to the amazing dreams and visions that others may have for their lives and knowing that you can share that as well. And that in the context of, of sharing, it becomes more real. And so I invite you, if you already know what yours is, don't sit with it all by yourself. Share it. Share it with someone here. Share it with a prayer partner. Write about it. And let it animate the totality of your life. Namaste. Namaste.